The Animals Podcast presents A Meeting by the River, adapted by Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi from Isherwood's novel, directed by Anthony Page, starring Dominic West, Kyle Soller, Penelope Wilton, and Annabelle Mullion. Music by Edmund Jolliffe. Act Two. Bags are terribly heavy, I'm afraid. It's a shame the taxi couldn't drive nearer. Uh, I am strong. Yes, I can see you are. Welcome to the guest house, Patrick. Your bathroom drain was completely stopped up. Should have been attended to long ago, but we haven't had any guests. Just managed to clear it into these two buckets. Rather foul, I'm afraid. Holly, you shave off all your hair. You know, I, I think it suits you. I could never carry that off. Something wrong with the shape of my head, as Penny often tells me. We have to have our heads shaved when we take sannyas. Next year, I too hope to be worthy to take sannyas. No, no, stay away from me, Osim. I can carry the buckets. Stuff stinks to high heaven. What? You will not let me help? You have better things to do. But why should you have to do this? I'm the only one who knows anything about the plumbing. Oh, I see. I, I thought it might be some sort of penance. Prescribed by your superiors, or yourself. Better get out of here. I don't know your name. Osim. Uh, what does that mean? Awareness of the infinite. And does it make you happy, having a name like that? Very happy. Dearest mother... I got a much warmer welcome than I dared to hope for. Ollie actually insisted on my moving into the guest house of his monastery so we can spend more time together. Oh, Ollie, I see you're returning with another bucket. It's best I scrub this floor with clean water. The great... The charm of the monastery grounds is that they lie along the edge of the Ganges. Holly, I, I do wish you'd let me help. You'd only be in my way. Hate to see you do that. Then don't watch me. Ollie, just uh, wait a moment. I'd, I'd like to get your reaction to an idea I've had. You told me your temple needs repairs. Well, suppose I were to offer your swamis a check. But... Why? Why not? It wouldn't be very much. I mean, from the point of view of a disgustingly rich tycoon like me. You don't believe in what we're doing here. Well, surely that's beside the point. Even an unbeliever can be grateful for hospitality. No, you're trying to buy your way in, like you did in the Congo. Your friends the Quakers didn't refuse my little offering. How could they? People were dying. We needed medical supplies. But your swamis would refuse? Is that what you're telling me? We don't want your money! You'd refuse it, then, in their name. Thank you. That's all I wanted to know. Just get on with that letter you were writing to Mother. The monks, in their yellow robes, make marvellously vivid spots of colour 
against the background of water. Around the temple, there are lots of rose bushes, which are sadly in need of you to look after them. I can just picture you in your big hat and gardening gloves, snipping and pruning. He can just picture me, snip, snip with his scissors, slop, slop with her paints. Anything will do to keep her quiet, England or India. She'd never know the difference. Among the rose bushes, there's a bench, perfectly ordinary one, just like several others in different parts of the grounds. Oliver pointed it out to me, saying that it used to be the favourite seat of his particular father confessor, the one who persuaded him to become a monk and then died. I thought it really touching that Ollie should feel this way about a very ordinary piece of garden furniture. We used to think of him as the least sentimental of creatures, didn't we? It was I who always wore my heart on my sleeve. Does he seriously believe I believe he has a heart? Ollie particularly asked me to reassure you that he's getting enough to eat. In accordance with his beliefs, he follows a vegetarian diet. Vegetables are plentiful here. They're all determined I shall play the silly old fool, so I do. It's less trouble. Well, pussy cats, so you found me here. I've been hiding from you. You're not allowed on that chair, Mr Hyde, as you well know. Quiet mugger. I only hope that Oliver's complicated meditation will bring him the same serene happiness that you've found by simply leading a normal and natural life. How dare he talk to me about happiness? I'm full of hate, and I'm old, and I'm lonely. And you don't care, Patrick, Oliver, either of you. You can't be bothered with me. You saddle me with that wife of yours as if I needed a babysitter. You know I can't stand her. I despise slaves. Oliver, if this new religion of yours is any good, why don't you use it to help me? The vicar can't help me. He doesn't believe a word he says. I sit there in church knowing it's all lies and that I'm going to die. Yes, yes, Miss Pink. I'm well aware of what time it is, but I refuse to be bullied. I know that you've grieved because Ollie has never found himself a partner in life and never given you grandchildren. As if your two little monsters weren't more than enough. They can't even be frankly selfish. They're full of that nauseating stuff their mother has fed to them about loving dear grandma. You don't understand love, do you, darlings? You understand fish and cream and mice and baby birds that you drag out of the nest. All right, all right. I can't stomach any more of this letter anyway. I've got a treat for you today. Liver. Liver, Mr Hyde. Liver, mugger. Liver, Miss Pink. Hello? Patrick! You happy in your new home? Swami, I'm enjoying this even more than I expected. <laughs> I have come to thank you once again for your noble act of generosity. <laughs> your brother knows of this? Noble act of generosity? This be repairing the temple? Oh, please, tell him later, Swami. Spare my blushes. Oh, Prema, your brother has saved our temple from collapse. Eh? Prema? 
Where are you going? He's uh, embarrassed. You see, this was really his idea. Uh, he didn't suggest it, of course. You mustn't think that. He just called the matter to my attention in the most tactful way. You should thank him. Huh. Oh, oh here, here's our head swami now. He's bringing another visitor. Patrick. This gentleman, Mr. Rafferty, is a friend of yours, isn't it? Asim, bring Prema. Oh, hello, Rafferty. Uh, really, aren't you? That's how I get to see things I'm not supposed to. Where's the photographer you threatened to bring? He'll be along in a minute. They're hard to get in this town. This one's fitness in between some elephants and a pop star at the airport. My brother's got to be handled with kid gloves. If he doesn't like your attitude, he can get really dangerous. Your brother and I are going to get along just fine. Brema? Brema? Yes, Swami? Oh, come. Come here. Brema, the fame of your sanctity appears to be spreading over the earth. Now, one of your own countrymen seeks an interview with you. Terribly sorry, Ollie. This pest wouldn't take no for an answer. Of course, it's entirely up to you. Do you want me to do this, Swami? But of course. Why should you not do it? Your mother will read what is written and be proud of you. Swami's orders, Prema. I'm Rafferty. Glad to know you, Prema. Uh, did I say the name correctly? Quite correctly. Now, would you mind telling me exactly what it means in your own words? Ecstatic love for the Lord. Whew. That's claiming a good deal, isn't it? Doesn't mean I've got it. Your name is given to you as a reminder of what you should try for. Yeah, your brother's filled me in on your background. What I need from you is the personal angle. Do you mind? Now, don't you feel strange in those clothes? Well, used to. But now if I were dressed like you feel like a straitjacket. Hmm. I understand you're the only Westerner in the monastery. Yes, yes he is. Well, did you feel you were advancing the cause of integration by coming here? Hindu monks don't recognise any differences of caste or race amongst themselves. Hmm. What about giving up sex? <laughs> that always seems to fascinate people more than anything else about a monastery. And yet, if you were to cross-examine these very people about their own sex lives, most of them would have to admit that sex is often largely a matter of compromise or convenience. All the same, you are living under a prohibition. Isn't that frustrating? Only if you look at the negative side of it. Positively, a monk stores up the energy which is used in sex and uses it instead for spiritual growth. So you're saying that sex and religion are all the same thing? Well, there is a relation between them, but you better not tell your readers that. Huh. Might get the wrong idea. I understand you did a lot of important work, first for the Quakers and then for the Red Cross. What made you give it up? I found I was getting too involved in the wrong way. My attitude was wrong. It was becoming egotistical. But isn't that quite natural? Well, most people think it's admirable. The truth is, I'd long since stopped giving a damn about the people I was supposed to be helping. All one really cares about is one's own miserable, martyred ego. Oh, it must be a lot easier to be spiritual in an oasis like this, shut away from the world's suffering. I've, I've, I've seen a good deal of suffering in my time. Would you mind telling me what you are doing here? Well, you could say I'm trying to find out if God exists. Hmm? You see... Once I know that for certain, then I shall really be able to help people in a way that I never could before. So you're just resting up here before getting back into action? No, it's not like that. 
Once I have found what I'm looking for here, then it won't really matter whether I stay in this place or go back into some kind of social work. I'm afraid that's too deep for me. <laughs> He's hopelessly unspiritual, Ollie. Tell him what you told me, what um, Maharaj said about you know, sitting in the cave. What cave? Any cave would do. You have to sit in it all by yourself and uh, make the world better. You, you tell him, Ollie. No! Excuse my delay, sir. I am the photographer. I got lost. I only have five minutes. What the devil do you think we can do in five minutes? Uh, may I help you? We'll get this over quickly. Just <sighs> tell me what you want, Ollie, what you want Prema to do. Well, that thing they do with their hands. All right, um, uh, Namaskar, Prema. Huh. Don't get too close to him when you take the shot. Yes, it's good. Now, let's have him sitting cross-legged. Yes, just like that, Prema. Let me just... Uh... Let me adjust the folds of your chadha. That necklace he's wearing's good. Let's see even more of it. Um, adjust the shawl again. What you call this necklace happens to be his rosary. It's extremely sacred. So much the better. Let's see him use it. Around the hand, Prema, isn't it? You, you loop the rosary around your hand. Good, good, good. Very good, very good. Now, let's have a group shot. Prema at the centre, group the swamis round him. That, that is over here. Yeah, 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 like, like that. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, listen, couldn't Prema be receiving a blessing or something um, from the top Swami? Uh, would that be improper, Swami? Under any circumstances, a blessing is never improper. <laughs> Beautiful. Only, uh, Swami, please, please don't laugh as he bows down and you touch his head. We want this to look serious. Now, I want a shot of you two brothers together. Patrick? Splendid. How about uh, over here? On this bench? What are you waiting for, Prema? Come sit down with me. Swami? Swami, must I do this? Oh, yes. Sit with your brother. We are all watching. Good, good, very good. Don't let your Swami see those clenched fists, Prema. It's not important! Uh, I think my brother's had enough. Bumpersty for one day. Rafty, we're done. Hmm. Swami, many thanks for your cooperation. So what are you going to call your article? The Great White Swami? Or how about the British Buddha? Don't worry. The story will be treated with good taste, I promise you. Oh, yes, your editor's famous for his good taste, isn't he? Well, goodbye. I must lie down for a little while. Goodbye. suppose that Patrick has unintentionally done me a service. Now the world will have a comic picture of me. The Englishman in Hindu drag. That's something I must learn to accept. When I first realized what Patrick had done, I had a spasm of rage, which was like something you only feel in childhood. I could have killed him, almost. By the grace of Maharaj, I got through the test of that interview. But only just. Still, if there's another test. Oh, why can't I ignore that phone? Eta Ashram. Don't talk English or get the fuck off the line. Hello. Uh, 
Who do you want to speak you, to? You, you son of a bitch. Oh my god. Patrick, I'm so sorry. I just couldn't bear it any longer. I had to hear your voice. I love you. This isn't Patrick. No, don't Wait. fool around, for Christ's sake. I know it's you, Patrick. This is not Patrick. I, I'll get Patrick for you. Wait. Don't go away. Wait. Patrick! Patrick! Telephone! Quick! It must be the studio. Isn't the studio. You'd better hurry. He, he seems pretty upset. Hello? Who's this? Patrick. Tom. Who was I talking to just now? My brother. Oh, oh Jesus. Ollie, Ollie, just uh, wait till I'm finished with this call, please. Oh, no, no. Don't be mad at me, Patrick. I've been up all night trying to reach you. Even after I got through to your hotel, I had to wait till some character came on Judy who knew where you'd moved to. Well, how did you get the hotel number? You didn't want me to get it, did you? I told you I didn't know where I'd be staying in Calcutta. Well, Mr. Letts knew where you'd be. You told him before you left California. What? You asked Lester Letts? Yeah, you didn't count on that, did you? I tried the studio first, but he'd gone home. And they wouldn't give out his private number. It took me half the night to get a hold of that, but I finally got him. You woke him up? You sure I did. I said you told me to call him no matter what time it was, because there was some... something I had to ship out to you right away. Don't worry, I didn't tell him what it was. And whatever was it? Me, of course. <laughs> oh, <Tom. laughs> oh, what am I going to do with you? Oh, you better make your mind up fast, because you've got exactly a week and a day. What are you talking about? If you don't get your ass to Singapore, I'll be there before you are. Today, at work, I told them I was leaving and went out and got myself a reservation. Cafe Pacific. I picked it because it just sounds so exotic. And tomorrow, I'm selling my car. A friend at work wants to buy it, and they'll take care of the ticket. So, you don't have a thing to worry about. So just sit back and relax. From now on, I am making the decisions. It's about time someone took you in hand. Yes, I do seem to have made a rather mess of things, don't I? Mm. Oh, sweetie. You're going to be so much happier when you've got me to look after you. I'm what you really want. But you know that. Certainly sounds convincing. You're such a slippery son of a bitch, though. I've got half a mind to leave tomorrow. Oh, Tommy, dear, don't do anything crazy. Don't come before we've got everything oh, planned. I hate that word. I love you, Tommy. I thought you said you couldn't say that. Well, I told you I would when the right time came. You said you'd shout it. All <laughs> right, I love you. I love you, Tommy. Now you ought to go to bed and get some sleep. Good night, Tommy. Ollie, I've, I've got to talk to you. It's none of my business. Well, you're not even curious? Come on, you know you are. I'm going to forget you're my brother and talk to you like a disciple to a swami. Not a swami yet. Well, isn't that just a technicality? No one can help me but you. Your Maharaj would tell you you must help me. I'm asking you in his name, so you can't refuse. Oh, that's very clever of you, Patrick. You're learning the rules. Now I can't refuse. Let's walk by the river. Of course, I realize that this is a particularly sacred place for you, most unsuitable for what I'm going to tell you. All kinds of things get thrown into the river. And it sort of purifies everything, doesn't it? So we're told. Well, good ducking is probably just what I need. Oh, God. It's difficult to begin. All right, it was... 
It was while I was in California at Christmas, I met this boy, Tom. Well, he's a, he's a young man, actually. But he isn't what's usually described as an adult, someone who's been housebroken and incorporated and had all the life insured out of him. I can't imagine what he saw in me, but for some reason he wanted to make me as alive as he is, to bring me back to life. And it was a part of life I'd never really explored. Good, old, uncomplicated lust. God, it was beautiful. Especially out of doors. Those short, hot winter days we used to drive up the coast, not far, to a cove where there was a reef sticking out into the sea. The air was full of spray and the shock of the waves made the rock tremble and there we were, a pair of ravenous, naked cannibals just devouring each other. It was insane. There was a trailer camp full of people just around the cliff. They could have caught us at any moment. I even wanted them to. Oh, I wish you'd seen us, Ollie. Then you'd have understood something about me which you don't know. I'm glad it's so dark, I'm actually blushing. Well, aren't you going to say anything? What do you want me to say? Very well, Oliver, I'll say it for you. You think I'm unfit to go on living with Penny and Patrick, our children. Patrick, if that's an example of how you think I think, it means that you must regard me as a hopeless puritanical ass. You, a puritan, Ollie. A puritan's frigid. He can't understand emotion. But forgive me, you're capable of generating more emotion than all the rest of us put together. There are three human beings involved, and you know two of them exceedingly well. If you were in my shoes, what would you do? Or is that too utterly unthinkable? No, it's perfectly thinkable. Our wires are connected. At moments, I can actually feel and think like you. <laughs> you don't know how delighted I am to hear you say that. <laughs> Must mean that there's hope for me in the long run. How can I answer your questions when I don't know Tom? Oh, never mind about Tom. Let Tom equal X, or... If it makes this easier for you to understand, let Tom equal a girl or a woman that you're in love with. Excuse me, I mean, of course, were in love with. Well, in other words, Tom himself isn't important. Oh, I never suggested that for a moment. I love Tom. You just have to take that on trust, incredible as it may seem to you. And I love Penny. You believe that, don't you? So if Tom equals X and Penny equals Y, does she know about Tom? No. Are you planning to tell her? When the right moment comes. I never have to spell things out to Penny. She's so amazingly understanding. Is Tom understanding about her? Or haven't you told him that you're married? Of course I've told him. Well, if they're both of them so understanding, I suppose it'll work out somehow. Ollie, even you with your otherworldliness can't pretend to be as naive as all that. Of course, so far as my duty is concerned, it's all towards Penny and the children. Then leave her. Leave Penelope? You simply can't mean that. If she and the children only represent duty to you, you ought to leave them. You'll have to support them anyway. That's the duty part. But to live with them out of duty, that's heartless. Better settle for Tom. Or you're afraid you might become a duty too. Jars on you dreadfully, doesn't it? I'm speaking of Tom in the same breath as your... Sacred Penelope. Now, she's not my Penelope. After all, you must admit that she had plenty of time to decide which of us she wanted. And you certainly used all your powers of persuasion. You mean she was right to choose someone who doesn't give a damn about her and probably never did? I am sorry. No idea the wound was still so raw. I mean, I 
quite realise that your retreat into this monastery was not unconnected with Penny. <laughs> that really is how it seems to you, isn't it? If anyone leaves your world, it's got to be for a reason you can understand. Something to do with sex, naturally. And your love. Keep talking about love. As if there could possibly be love in your world. If it ever did get in there somehow, you'd run screaming, because it would blow the whole rotten thing to bits! Patrick, please try to forget I said that. I didn't mean it. At least not the way it sounded. I... I'm sorry. Forgive me. Ollie, when you, when you talk like that, I begin to feel you really hate me. Yes, I hate you. Part of me does. But part of me loves you. Your joy. Your boldness in demanding enjoyment from yourself and the impudence with which you accept the best as your absolute right. <laughs> Ollie. You know, it's so wonderful our being able to talk to each other like this. You didn't really want my advice about Tom and Penelope. You see right through me, don't you? <laughs> All right, I confess. I'd never have told you about Tom if he hadn't made that absurd phone call. Then suddenly I saw that I could bring you and me back together. What do you mean? You see, I had to prove to you I could be completely frank with you so as to encourage you to be frank with me too. Well... Now I've been frank, haven't I? Up to a point. Well, what more is there for me to be frank about? Do you want me to tell you? I most certainly do. All right. Here goes. Let me put it to you in this way. I'm, I'm afraid you may be suffering from a very dangerous misunderstanding of yourself. Does that include my decision to become a monk? Oh, very much so. That most of all. Look, do you mind my telling you what I believe your real reason was for giving up your job at the Red Cross? I believe your actual motive had nothing directly to do with your swami. Oh, well, I would never have got into this. <laughs> Go on. All right. Subconsciously, you must have been on the lookout for someone like him. You'd already decided you must stop working with the Quakers or the Red Cross or any other such group before you even arrived in Geneva. And you had the amazing luck to meet this very remarkable and admirable individual, as he obviously was, instead of having to make do with some charlatan. Please, Ollie, don't be angry with me and, and don't just dismiss all this out of hand. Ask yourself if I'm not partly right. I'm not angry and I'm not dismissing anything. What you've got to admit to yourself, Ollie, however much it may disturb you to do it, is that you're... You're denying a very large part of your nature. You have powers you absolutely refuse and fear to make use of. You have, whether you want it or not, a power to lead others and make them forget their own vanity and selfish interests and finally become... Almost noble. I'm convinced that you could handle any kind of project you chose to take on. Nothing would be too big for you. Now, all this certainly sounds impressive. But even if it were remotely true, why on earth should this power of mine make me want to leave the Red Cross? Because you felt guilty. This sort of power is 
absolutely inseparable from ambition. A man like you wants to use it in a worthy cause, but that's still ambition, and ambition horrifies you. You try to hide from it in the midst of humble communal tasks, first for the Quakers, then for the Red Cross, but even there you found yourself beginning to take over the leadership, such as it is. When your guilt pressure reaches a certain level, you leave them and fly for safety to your Maharaj, who promised to annihilate you entirely, ego and ambition and all. Patrick, why do I have this horror of ambition? I must say, I'm, I'm not aware of any horror. Of course you're not aware, Ollie. We're none of us aware of these deep compulsions. I'm afraid I blame Mother entirely. She cast her sons for roles in life, and they had to be different roles, of course, so that we shouldn't clash. I was to be the worldly success. That role was already taken before you appeared on the scene. So you were cast to be the unworldly one. The subtler, finer spirit who's above competition and shrinks from ambition as something vile and low. Don't you think it's time you took over your proper role? Don't you feel an obligation to use this power of yours? Suppose, just for the sake of argument, that... I do have this extraordinary thing you say I have. What do you suppose I should do about it? Now, come on, Patrick, you, you have diagnosed my case. Now, let's hear your advice. Oh, really, Ollie? Who am I to presume to tell you? Patrick, Patrick, if you care for me at all, don't try to back out of this now. What you're actually telling me is that you think I oughtn't to be in this monastery at all. Isn't that it? Well, isn't it? Huh? You think I ought to leave? Of course. You mean I should leave now? Without taking Sanyas? I hardly see what your taking Sanyas would prove. Tell me yourself the Swamis would release you from any obligation to the Order. What should I do then? You'd fly straight back to England. And you'd hardly say that I'd be delighted to let you have whatever money you needed. You remember Henry Maddox? Piggy Maddox. Lord Maddox he is now. He always had a tremendous opinion of you. As you may not know, he's now one of the most influential people in the United Nations. If he knew you were interested, I'm, I'm certain he'd jump at the chance of getting you f for UNESCO, probably. With your background? Those are the problems you understand inside out. But this time you'd be given the power to be dealing with them on a, on a larger scale. What about my ambition? Well, you'd learn not to be afraid of it when it had once been healthily satisfied. Make the whole thing sound so simple. And all I have to do is write off the last five years of my life. My dear Oliver, this is your choice. It's not mine. If you should agree that you've been wrong about yourself, if you should decide that this monastery is the wrong place for you to be in, that doesn't necessarily mean you'd have to stop believing in... God? Just say God. Thank you. Speaking purely as an ignorant outsider, I should have thought that if you really believed in God, you'd actually want to prove to yourself that your faith was strong enough to survive outside in the wicked world. You think I'm strong enough to practice meditation and chastity in the bosom of the United Nations? <laughs> well, of course, I, I can't answer for the meditation because I haven't the smallest idea how to set about it. Or the chastity, for that matter. Oh, I'm afraid I've been talking an awful lot of rot. Sorry. 
You've been very patient listening to me. Is that all you've got to say? Look, it was actually the most ghastly cheek, my talking to you like this. It wasn't if you meant it. Well, you know how one tries ideas on for size. Oh, sorry. Ooh. Oh, I suddenly feel terribly sleepy. Patrick, and I'm leaving. Well, I've kept you up late as it is. You, you probably rise at dawn, don't you? Good night, Ollie. Sleep well. And that's how you get a monk out of a monastery. Suddenly, it's as if, without any warning, he slammed a door in my face. Nearly begged him to stay with me. Seems to have become the one person on earth who could decide my fate. Won't be able to sleep. I have to keep moving. Anywhere, outside, even though it's dark. My mind is running round and round in circles. One moment, everything Patrick said seems utterly idiotic and laughable. The next, it seems terribly, insidiously true. I feel like a madman. I have absolutely no idea what I may or may not do next. To come to him, admit he was right, borrow the money from him for a ticket back to England, wouldn't that be the ultimate humiliation? Yes. But I'm beginning to see it as the only act which wouldn't have even the least taint of falseness in it. This one would really strike Oliver's pride at his roots and bring him down groveling to the ground. It's appallingly attractive. Maharaja's seat. Pranam Maharaj. Here I am, kneeling before you, clinging desperately to your seat. I am praying to you as I've never prayed before. Show me what I must do. I was kneeling. I find myself sitting. Sleep must have hit me very suddenly. I don't even remember. Oh, it was wonderfully deep and refreshing. Not very long. Just before I woke, I saw Maharaj. Yes, I can say that I did literally see him sitting here beside me. We were sitting here together on this bench. But seeing him was only part of the experience of his presence, which was extraordinarily vivid. It wasn't a vision in the waking state, but wasn't in the least like a dream. It was so overwhelmingly matter-of-fact. And unlike a dream, it didn't altogether end when I woke up. It's losing strength now, but it's still with me. We were domestically together as we used to be in the old days. 
Maharaj was sitting cross-legged on a bed or couch. The room was nondescript and not recognizable, and I was making tea for him, boiling water in a kettle on a gas ring. I felt happy and at peace, as I always used to be while doing him any small service. I was quite clearly aware that Maharaj was already dead, as they call it. Nevertheless, I knew that he was now with me, and that he is with me always, wherever I am. We are never separated. I woke up actually knowing that. My eyes fill with tears of joy remembering it. All the time that Maharaj and I were together, we were communicating with each other, not talking. I have no memory of a single word. What we were communicating about was... Patrick. Patrick wasn't with us, but I knew very well that he was close to us. In the next room, as it were. And I was aware that he was an established part of our life. The three of us belonged together intimately. And I accepted this as a matter of course. He even had his own special place on the seat. On Maharaj's right hand. Maharaj seemed gravely concerned about Patrick. Yet, despite his concern, he was amused. The general impression was that Patrick had got himself into a spiritual condition, which was very serious and at the same time ridiculous. Maharaj could laugh at it indulgently because Patrick was in his care and would be all right. I've always taken it for granted that Patrick has never felt any dissatisfaction with his way of life, but I suspect that recently he has begun to feel dissatisfied. That's why he wants me to stop being a monk. If I left the order, he'd take it as reassurance that his way of life was the right one and that mine was self-deception and nonsense. Couldn't it be the first faint beginning of an awareness that some new and unknown power is working inside him? Couldn't he be starting to be aware of Swami's presence? That would surely make him increasingly dissatisfied with everything that he used to think was desirable and important, and he wouldn't even know why. <laughs> Poor old Paddy! <laughs> he's in a state of grace. <laughs> and he's going to discover it the hard way. Swami, uh, good morning. I can well understand your concern for your brother. We also have been concerned, but now no longer. This morning, we saw that a great change has occurred. Swami, do, do you suppose I could, I could speak to Oliver, just, just for a moment? Unfortunately, no. Today is the beginning of several days of preparation for sannyas. Those who are about to take it may not communicate with the outside world. We regard sannyas as a death, followed by a spiritual rebirth. So, when you next see him... He will be your brother, and yet he will not be your brother. Is that clear? Perfectly. Namaskar, Patrick. Namaskar, Swami. Go on. What does Patrick say next? It seems that before you take sannyas, you have to go through a preliminary ceremony called Shraddha, a sort of funeral service. Just let me see the letter for myself. On second thought, perhaps you'd better not tell Mother about this. <laughs> oh, 
You perform rites in advance for the peace of your parents' souls, because as a monk, you won't be able to do this when your parents actually do die. Here's your letter. Read it yourself. I'm not staying here anymore. So, we've lost him. Obviously, that precious Maharaj of Oliver's was mixed up in it. He has the terribly unfair advantage of being dead. Penny, I drove Ollie into a corner, with no rational way out except to rejoin the world. And what does he do? He escapes through some non-rational crack in the wall. If you're under sufficient pressure, you can make yourself believe absolutely anything. Oliver, darling. I'm so glad you're going to be in that monastery from now on. Is that because no other woman will ever get you? Yes, partly, but it's chiefly because I'll be able to think of you there any hour of the day or night and know that there's one person at least who's doing something that has meaning, even though I don't quite understand what it is. My dear Tom, in a few days I shall be leaving here. After our conversation last night, there are some things I must say to you at once. You are an impulsive creature, Tommy, dear, as you well know, and that's a great part of your charm. Since last night, I see that we do actually belong to two different generations. I suppose that's a fact of life that I ought to have faced from the start and which my vanity stopped me from facing. What I'm leading up to is that I do think that we need a period of separation, probably quite a long one. I do wish you another lover, someone altogether more suitable, closer to your own age, with more faith and courage and innocence than I had left to give you. As for me, well, there's my family. I have my duty to them. Duty often seems to be the only thing one can really count on in the long run. Happiness may be thrown in as an occasional bonus, but one never knows how long it will last. Tom, when I refer to your future lover, are you absolutely sure you can't have a relationship with a girl? Being married does make a lot of things easier because the world accepts marriage at its face value without asking what goes on behind the scenes. Enough said. Now, Tommy dear, do try to keep an open mind toward whatever the future may bring you, even if it happens to be wearing a skirt. Let's rip that letter into little tiny pieces. You do not mean it. Separation. Duty. A skirt. You have been at that monastery too long. Penelope, come and look at these photographs of Oliver without any hair. Patrick's written on the back of this one. Ollie, after being sworn in. Oliver looks very distinguished in his robes. Oh, do you think so? I think he looks like a hospital patient in his nightgown, deprived of his trousers. Patrick's the one who really ought to have been a monk. 
He's such an actor. On this one, he's written, They tell me that when a monk takes his final vows, he gains salvation for his entire family. <laughs> Margaret, do you hear that? You'll be saved. And Daphne and Deirdre. And Mr Hyde. And Mugger and Miss Pink. And Patrick. <laughs> Even Patrick's saved. We're all going to be saved. You're not. You're not one of us. You've got to save yourself. Look at you. You think you can laugh at Patrick, but you're still his victim. You think it's so romantic being in love with Oliver. That's only because you can't have him. You think you love your children because you've been told you ought. The truth is, they bore you. As for me, you think I'm an old monster, which I am. Oh, Margaret. Oh, Margaret. What are you going to do? What can I do? Go to the British Museum. Find yourself a dark corner behind a dull statue. And don't budge until you've thought of something you really want to do which hasn't any connection with Patrick or Oliver or me or the children. Something which isn't a sacrifice or a duty or unselfish. You'd better take some sandwiches. You may be there a long time. Suppose the museum closes? I'll send you back there tomorrow. Dearest mother, my darling Penelope, this is Oliver's great night, the night of the Sanyas, during which he actually becomes a swami. I keep picturing him over there in the temple, so close and yet so far removed from me and from all of us, so far from home. Nevertheless, he is still our own Ollie, hopelessly British, ridiculously out of his element, muffled in all those alien robes and mumbling the words of that dead language amidst all those dark faces. I find this act of his, the, the sheer courage of it, terribly moving. He's so utterly, almost unimaginably alone in what he's doing. Mind you, it still fills me with a certain horror. And one does feel it's a ghastly waste. Even if the waste is heroic, it's a sort of spiritual charge of the light brigade. Ollie's certainly a hero. Perhaps he's a saint, too. I don't know what a saint is, so how can I tell? I feel I ought not to go to bed. I want to hold my own vigil to keep him company. Whatever may be said against this place, it does seem to create its own atmosphere in which you can think your thoughts more objectively and indeed almost look at them while you're thinking them. I have this strange, rather exhilarating feeling that I've never understood certain things about myself and my life as clearly as I do now. Back so soon, Penny? Why so pleased with yourself? 
It was the sandwiches. What? When I started out, I found I'd forgotten them. So I went into a shop and asked them to make me some. I asked for corned beef. I realise now I always used to ask for things I hated, like cucumber. Well then, I went into the museum and found a statue and a corner. But I simply couldn't concentrate. So I ate one of the sandwiches. And it was absolutely delicious. <laughs> then I ate the rest of them. And so quickly, without knowing I was going to do it. After it was over, I realised that not for one second had I felt guilty for not sharing them with the children or with you. I don't know if it's anything to do with Oliver. But I've had the most extraordinary experience. Do you know, Margaret? I don't believe... I shall ever be unselfish again. <laughs> Where are you going now that you're saved? <laughs> to the cellar. Somewhere, somewhere down there are the last of those priceless bottles which Patrick treasures so. They were given to him by Uncle Fred when he joined the firm. <laughs> They're cunningly hidden, but I think I know where. And if I'm right, I shall get definitively, <laughs> victoriously, <laughs> immortally drunk salvation. <laughs> They're calling my flight. Singapore, here I come. That's what Patrick really wants. Though he won't admit it. To be rescued just the way he went to rescue his brother. Oh, I can't wait to see his face when I show up. That lucky son of a bitch. Hallelujah! Did Oliver die? No. And yes. Silly to expect some melodramatic transformation. Now I understand that dying and being reborn are a gradual process. But this morning was a beginning. Sooner or later, through Maharaja's grace, Oliver will die. Patrick? I know Maharaj wouldn't have shown me his concern for you without a reason. It can't be that he wants me to help you in any way. Well, what other help do you need if he's with you? Suppose he meant that I'm to remember that always, not meddle. I must never tell you this. Wouldn't believe me if I did. When you do start to feel his presence, you'll hate it. You'll fight it. <laughs> Poor old Patrick. <laughs> You're in a state of grace and you don't know it.
नमो नारायणाय ओम नमो नारायण come out of the temple holy into the crowd i see how silly and short-sighted i was the united nations indeed might as well as offered you a part in my film i was aiming far too low of course you must stay in the monastery the first step on your staircase to power oh, i see it so clearly now it's, it's practically inevitable you'll gradually evolve into one of those terrifying uncorrupt politico religious leaders adored by millions in that orange robe of yours you'll dominate international conferences you'll march into palaces and confront dictators barefoot And finally you'll checkmate the opposition by getting yourself assassinated. <laughs> oh, poor old Ollie. Won't that be a laugh on the rest of us? And on you, most of all. Ollie, let me take the dust of your feet. I know how. <laughs> Pranam. What? Get up. <laughs> Let me help you up, Patrick. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Perfectly stylish. <laughs> Let me hug you. <laughs> well, Ollie, you've really gone and torn it now. <laughs> Looks like I'm stuck with it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I seem to stand outside myself and see the two of us and Swami and the onlookers all of us involved in this tremendous joke. I feel Swami's presence with us so intensely that I'm afraid I'll begin sobbing with joy and tell Patrick everything. So I I push Patrick away from me and step back. The others take this as a sign that it's now all right for them to approach us. And everybody is smiling and murmuring. So much as to say how charming it was of Patrick to play this scene according to our local Hindu rules. And how very right and proper it was that we two brothers should love each other. A Meeting by the River was adapted for the stage by Christopher Isherwood and Don Bacardi from Isherwood's novel A Meeting by the River and adapted for this podcast by Catherine Bucknell directed by Anthony Page with Dominic West as Patrick Kyle Soler as Oliver Penelope Wilton as Margaret Annabel Mallian as Penelope Robert Ashby as Tarun Maharaj Jonathan Bailey as Tom Ranjit Krishnama as Head Swami Tibu Fortis as Second Swami Gerard Horan as Rafati, Manish Gandhi as Asim, 
Music by Edmund Jolliffe. Casting by Amy Ball. Assistant Director, Shani Erez. If you like this podcast and think more people should hear it, please rate it, review it, and subscribe to it. Visit our website, theanimalspodcast.com, to learn more about us. Please join us for the final episode of The Animals, Don Bacardi at 82, with a special appearance by Don Bacardi. A Meeting by the River is produced by Catherine Bucknell and Shani Erez as part of The Animals podcast. Production assistant, Zenobi Purvis. Recorded in London at the Soundhouse with Phil Horn. Post-production by Toma Run. Website by Zenobi Purvis. We would like to thank our friend Pravajika Vrajaprana of the Vedanta Society of Southern California and Swami Tayagananda, head of the Ramakrishna Vedanta Society of Boston. Haley Goswami, Dilip Subramanian, the Huntington Library, San Marino, California, and the Wiley Agency. Don Bacardi, Catherine Bucknell, Penguin Random House, and Farah Strauss-Giroux donated rights for this podcast, which is underwritten by the Christopher Isherwood Foundation. Special thanks to Cast and Creatives for donating time to this podcast. Copyright Don Bacardi, Catherine Bucknell, and The Animals Podcast 2017.